Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. This week on the show, we have a real estate expert, Moses Kagan, who is a partner of Adaptive Realty in Los Angeles. Adaptive Realty has a unique strategy with apartment buildings. Instead of simply buying buildings and repainting, upgrading appliances, they do huge wholesale renovations. They vacate all the tenants. They completely redesign the properties, and that enables them to double the rent. Whereas most apartment value add guys and girls, you know, incrementally increase the rent, you know, 20, 30% after the renovation. So it's a very unique strategy. And uh, on this episode, we're going to get into a lot of the details of how he's pulled that off, including how he fell ass backwards into the industry about 10 years ago, how he survived the early lean years of being a real estate entrepreneur, the mistakes he made along the way, including selling way too early for his first few deals. And finally, his graduation from short-term funds to doing more long-term permanent equity vehicles where he can renovate the properties and hold them indefinitely. Hope you enjoy. I know we did. Moses, welcome to the show. Thank you. And we are excited to talk to you today. I can't even tell you how excited we are. Brad, are we excited? I'm always excited, but especially today because I love talking real estate. Yeah. And Moses, it's a real estate episode. It's a, yeah. Today's a real estate day, folks. So last week we spoke to somebody who purchased an operating business with an SBA loan, and that was all about you know buying an operating company and getting in and running it. And it was more of a private equity focused podcast. So today, Brad, I think we're going to do your side of the world equal justice, and we're going to talk to Moses about real estate. How's that sound? That sounds amazing. Okay, so Moses, let's just kick it off. So you're you're in Los Angeles, correct? That's right. We're uh, in historic Filipino town just west of downtown. Oh, my gosh. I, I didn't even know that I existed. I, did, I just learned something. I know. I've lived here my entire <laughs> life in Southern California. I didn't know that. And uh, okay, so yeah, maybe, um, look, I think you have a really fascinating story, and we, we told some of the folks about you in the intro but maybe you could just briefly touch on kind of what you're currently doing and, you know, emphasize briefly because, you know, we don't want to bore anybody. And then we'll kind of get into kind of how you how you got to where you are. Sure. Uh, so my company, Adaptive Realty, buys and renovates what I would call sub-institutional scale apartment buildings exclusively in Los Angeles. So this is not the lipstick on a pig type stuff. This is we, we buy these really beat up old buildings. Uh, we vacate them 100 percent. Uh, and then we gut them to the studs, uh, redo everything, reconfigure the buildings, make them really awesome. And then we retenant them. And instead of uh, selling, which is kind of the standard real estate private equity play, we go and go to a bank and refinance the properties with long-term fixed rate debt. And there's enough value creation that we're able to return sort of somewhere between 85 and 100% of investor capital after, you know, somewhere around 18 months. Hello. Wow. So I, this is, I'm so excited, Moses, because you, you do real work. I feel like, I feel like the running joke on this podcast is me making fun of real estate people for not doing real work and for being smart and <laughs> for being, <laughs> for being intelligent. And, but I, I take it all back. I mean, it sounds to me like this is, I mean, this is tough work. Yeah. So here's what I love about it is that, you know, I see probably, I don't know, three or four uh, sponsors that do apartment buildings that come in and they, they buy a, a building, they, they bring in brand new stainless steel appliances. They new, do new paint and carpet. They jack the rents, you know, 10% and that's the value add play. Yeah. yeah. And there's a sea of those, those groups. And, you know, that's, that's fine. And that's certainly a way to make money. Tough to do that in this market. But this is a completely wholesale renovation. Yeah, it is. And we can talk about the, uh, the reason we do it that way. There's, it's an interesting sort of cascade of decisions that pushes you in this direction, specifically in Los Angeles. But I guess the most important thing to say is that if you kind of zoom out historically on Los Angeles, we have been on like a hundred year tear where rents have grown at a rate which exceeds inflation. Yep. And so one of the central insights of our business model is if you buy a, a property in kind of an interesting neighborhood in that city, and then you gut it to the studs and redo all the systems and everything, and then you, you fill it with, with nice tenants, uh, why, why would you sell that? <laughs> totally. Good point. And by, by the way, Moses, are you only buying properties in the greater Los Angeles area? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we're in like five neighborhoods. Wow. Okay. That's nice, actually. You guys are experts in in those areas. And remind me how much assets under management you guys currently have. We're at a little over $100 million in assets under management now, um, up from zero uh, in uh, 2012. See, that is great. So, yeah. we're, so we're, okay, let's let's talk about that. Because I think, I think one of the things we find interesting about your story 
and uh, I think Brad can sort of commiserate you on this too, is that you, you did this all by yourself. I mean, maybe with a partner, but you started, you started from scratch and now you have a hundred million dollars worth of properties that you guys own and manage. Um, you know, I'm sure that wasn't easy starting out. No, it was uh, extremely painful. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're probably, you're, you're in your kind of mid thirties. Is that right? Uh, late thirties. I'm actually 39. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. And I, I, but I would say I got a little bit of a late start in the sense that, um, I, I did, I cycled through investment banking and doing a little bit of consulting for investment banking clients and stuff before, uh, doing my first deal. I think I was 28 or so when I bought my first building. So, I mean, I don't know if that sounds young or old to you, but it, 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 it did take a while to, to get focused. So maybe you could just take us back to those days when you were, okay, so you had a solid job, you were pulling in real money, you were living in Los Angeles, you were partying with movie stars. And some of that is true and not all that. Um, first of all, let me say I was in London I, after, uh, undergrad, I went to LSE for a year of screwing around. Um, yeah. And, uh, London school got, of economics for, for yeah. Those. Yeah. But, but that sounds like, fancy. It, it, it was intended to be a screw around year before applying to law school. Yep. Um, and, uh, I was living with one of my best friends. I'm actually going to see him uh, a little later today who, uh, at the time was helping this billionaire, by of all things, uh, classified advertising newspapers in Eastern Europe. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, um, that's there's a, yeah. there's a play there. That's different. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the, one of the best roll-ups you've ever seen, you know, buying family owned businesses for five and six times and then yeah. consolidating them into a French publicly traded vehicle that was trading at 12 times. Yeah. Ooh. I feel like they yeah. had a good run for probably like eight to 10 years and then it probably fell off a cliff, but that's, uh, well, yeah, the internet, right. It just, I mean, <laughs> yeah. The entire he he I think he fortunately sold out kind of right before the business model got nuked. But it was uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a it was a beautiful roll up for a while there. Gotcha. Okay, so you, you meet this guy. You're living in London with him, and so yeah. So he so uh, basically the long and short of it is my friend Max, who I was living with, was was working for this billionaire, and uh, he was I think probably 24 at the time, and I was listening to the way that he spoke to the. Uh, corporate lawyers who were working on his deals. Like he knew what he was doing? Well, and more just like, hey, uh, I know you're a partner at a big firm and you're 45 and it's Friday and you'd love to go to your beach house right now, but <laughs> I need to, you know, I need to sell and purchase agreement by Monday morning. And you're like, I want to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. want to be making that call, not receiving it. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I get angry when the lawyers don't immediately respond back to me, which I know is completely irrational. Yeah. Totally. But uh, that's the gig. Totally. So anyway, so th that, that kind of, that kind of steered me away from law school. And then that same friend helped me get a, um, a job at this small, I would say tiny, actually M and a boutique that was helping that guy do the, do the deals. So anyway, that's that. I, so I was a banker for a while. Um, I wouldn't say I was rolling in money. Um, <laughs> I did hang out with some movie stars cause it was London is crazy, but really came back here, realized, realized I wanted to do something entre more entrepreneurial, came back here because this is where I thought I'd have a better chance of raising capital. Um, and then kind of actually got into real estate more or less by accident. Gotcha. Hmm. So you, so you can't, you knew you wanted to do something entrepreneurial. You came back to the, and were you from LA? Is that where you, is that where you grew no, up? No, upstate New York. My little brother was living out here. One of the, so I came out and visited him in February for a conference and he picked me up at LAX in a little Mercedes convertible. Yeah. You're like, I, I like, like this, what, this what weather. Am I doing <laughs> you're like, I need to what move here. Yeah. It was, it was like, what am I doing in London? It's rainy. It's terrible. I'm taking the tube every day. So, uh, so LA seems pretty, uh, pretty appealing. Gotcha. So then how did, so you, now you're what, 24, 25 and how did you get to actually buying your own deal? So, uh, I should start out by saying that my family had always been in real estate on a really small scale. Like, um, we're, we're from upstate New York and we, you know, we always growing up, we always had a few apartments, maybe, as few as three and maybe as many as eight or something at mm -hmm. one time. Yep. Um, so it was not totally alien. I mean, I, I remember getting calls from prospective tenants and my parents would threaten me with death if I didn't uh, write down their names and phone numbers. <laughs> oh you know, my goodness, I love that. Yeah, it's in your blood. I got to make my uh, son do that and my daughter. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so, but this is, so then my brother and I, this is like now 2007, I guess I was 27. So I'm, um, we were looking for a duplex to buy. So I would live in one half and he would live in the other. Not a great and, time to be shopping for real estate. 
terrible, terrible. <laughs> and we didn't know anything. And it was still obvious that the numbers were just ludicrous. Yeah. But this was your, this was for your own primary residence though. Yeah, totally. Got no it. intention of, of, okay. of operating a business. Just, you know, it seemed like everyone was buying real estate and I don't know where we even got the idea, but, um, but, but, but that's what we were looking for. And none of the numbers made sense. My brother found, um, a guy who had bought a derelict 16 unit building, um, actually a, a block from where my office is, from where I'm sitting right now. Like a slumlord. Uh, it was, it was, the, build, the building was literally derelict. It wasn't even, there was no one living in it. Oh, it was, like, oh, oh, it was wow. literally, so, okay. Li- yeah, this is so, it's Just so a lot of homeless crazy. people. There were, Los Angeles. That's a where, crackdown. It used, it used to have actual just buildings with no one in them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. So this, so this guy, uh, this guy had bought it and um, uh, borrowed uh, to the hilt to, um, to renovate it. And, uh, and then he screwed up and couldn't finish and got underwater on his construction loans. And so we were able to make a deal to buy the building from him, basically fully renovated, although there was a little bit of work that still needed to be done. Um, to make the deal work, we actually had to loan him fifteen thousand dollars as a fourth trust deed on his house. <laughs> wow! 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 That, that is a hairy deal. That's a motivated seller right there. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he yeah. needed this. You, you can, you can. It's, it's not going to surprise you to hear that we didn't get that fifteen thousand dollars back. No. Shocker! <laughs> yeah. Um, but we did close the deal, and. Um, we, uh, we had a, a friend. Wait, sorry. Who, can I, uh, this sorry. Is, yeah, go ahead. So that's, I feel like this is a big leap from it's what, a huge leap. You're looking for a duplex with your brother. And all of a sudden now you just bought a 15 unit derelict building. I mean, what was the, what was that like? Oh yeah. Well, let, let me, let me, let me start out by saying, and I think people are sometimes, um, guilty of, uh, exaggerating the, from their boot, you know, pulling themselves up yeah. by the bootstraps. <laughs> I think so. My, our parents helped us with with a big chunk of the dough. You know, I appreciate um, the candor, Moses. Yeah. No, very few people admit that, and almost everyone gets help somehow. So, thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, I don't. It's it's awfully discouraging. I think for people who are trying to get moving to kind of hear these crazy stories and not realize. I know people, when so. your when your parents aren't paying five hundred thousand dollars to get you into SC. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good tie into current events, Brad. Exactly. <laughs> thank you. This won't be uh, real practical about five years from now when somebody's wait, what was that? Yeah, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> well, it'll be an interesting historical note. That's a good point. So, yeah, so they helped us with some of the down payment for the building. The, the building was renovated but empty. But so I think it, it, it was a little bit hard to find a bank that would loan on it. But um, we did eventually find uh, find one. And they were willing to do it mostly because the leverage was not too high. I think from memory, it was like 65 LTV, 65% loan to value. Yeah. So I think they kind of felt like, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, but it was pretty unlikely that, that, that they were going to lose money. Cause obviously we would have to lose 35% of the purchase price first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did, they forced us to hire a management company because we didn't know anything, yep. wow. uh, but they made the loan. So we bought the building. Um, we completed the, the very small bit of renovation that, that needed to be done. How long did that take? Just, was it like a few weeks? Yeah, I would. Yeah, it was a, it was kind of a rolling process where we'd sort of complete the work on one unit and then immediately lease that, you know, start leasing that unit. Okay. So you started getting um, cash flow in within weeks after buying this thing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, so, so, and then, fin- you know, there's all kinds of stories about how, how poor a job we did selecting tenants at first. And it was a little bit hairy there. Um, you just, you basically just let the people that were already living in the derelict buildings <laughs> just stay. <laughs> well, <laughs> just sign I mean, this. I'll, I'll give you one example The the management company, which by the way, these are the experts who the bank has forced us to hire. Yeah. They suggest putting uh, this very nice woman into the apartment, into the building who, who didn't have papers. And we, you know, we're, we felt, um, you know, we're, we want to give people a chance and, and, yeah, white, and anyway. white so, guilt. We get it. Yeah. Well, we, we just, you know, we, we wanted to be fair and she seemed like a nice person. So we put her in there and it turns out that she's got this boyfriend who I'm not kidding. Is oh, a pimp. God. And, oh my the, and the, the pimp is, having his uh, uh, employees to use a nice word sure uh, you know do their business in the apartment while the while the named tenant is out 
working. Yeah. Right. So you're a hundred percent lease the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't that's, think about using that in the app. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's, I was going to, I always, I was thinking that was going to be bad for business, but Brad, I think you have a better, better interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually right. could be great for this business. This could be a little fun to where yeah. we're thinking of right Yeah, exactly. So, um, in any case, so, I mean, I, you know, we have stories about that, but, but anyway, we, we managed to tenant the whole, uh, the, the building up and, and, and got it, uh, making the mortgage payments. And, um, and that was, that was, that was the first kind of, okay, now you're really in this business moment. Um, but the most important thing that happened was actually a lunch that happened with the head of the management company, the bank had forced us to hire maybe six months after we bought the building. Sounds ominous. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. So the guy, the guy takes us to lunch and he goes, um, he goes, nice job buying this building. I bet you're really happy with it. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, I bet you're happy with it because, you know, you're, you you got market rate tenants. Los Angeles is a rent control city. So he it was kind of cool to buy a building that was vacant because obviously we could tenant it up at market rate. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. And, he, and he's like, well, but you actually paid a price for the building that reflects, you know, the fact that rents were market. <laughs> you're like, we did. Um, and he's like, what I like to do is buy screwed up buildings with low rent tenants and I pay a price that reflects the low rent controlled rent roll. And then I harass the tenants until they move out. And then I raise the rents. And nice. I was just like, Oh, oh my God, you're the worst person I could possibly. Yeah. It was, it was mind boggling. Someone would say this, you know, in, in a out loud. That's horrible. But I went home and I was like, huh. That's a great strategy. <laughs> you're, like, <laughs> you're like, now that I think about it, it's not so terrible. Well, I realized that there was so much value to be added that you could pay people. Like it, it didn't have yeah, to be like a check. A, yeah. Yeah. It didn't have to be like a, some kind of a, a thug game. It was, it was just like, you could just go to people and respectfully ask them if they would be yeah. interested in making a deal. Yeah. And so then the, cr the crash hap was happening about then, or maybe slightly thereafter. And the same guy, this is now six months later, comes to me with a building uh, in a neighborhood called Silver Lake. And I don't know how familiar are you guys uh, with Los Angeles? I mean, Silver Lake's a super cool neighborhood. Yep. Yeah, I just know it's like a hip place to live. Like there's lots of like... Like we can't hang out there yeah, anymore. Like we, would be, <laughs> we would be like laughed at if we yeah. went there. We should be on webcam because I got really crazy hair. And, uh, so, so you, yeah, you were. You'd be fine, yeah. I fit in. Um, so yeah, so, so he comes to us with this building and I, I guess a syndicator client of his had bought it and the guy had really gotten himself in trouble with his loans and he just needed to get out right away. And the guy quoted me a price. Uh, I think it was, I think he quoted me like one five for this 16 unit building in Silver Lake. And why did, why you though? I mean, like this is, if this is a good deal and this is a great, like why go to the, why go to one guy who's owns one building? Why not put this on the market? Or I'm just curious how you got this. Well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things going on. One is he was uh, the manager on behalf of the owner. So presumably he was trying to double end the deal. In other words, get paid both yep. for representing the listing, you know, the, the seller and the buyer. Yeah. Another thing is we were the only idiots who had bought right at, <laughs> bought an apartment building at market value. He's like, these guys will buy. These guys yeah, will these buy anything. <laughs> these, yeah, guys, exactly. these guys are not thoughtful at all. Um, and so he and, – and by the way, he probably shot this deal to 25 other people before bringing it to me. I, mean, oh, I, I see. Don't know how nope. do I know. Okay. Um, so – but he comes to me with the deal and I take a look at it and, and I, I kind of do what – it, what I would now regard as like extremely slipshod, embarrassingly naive underwriting. Yep. But I come back to him and I'm like, I'm not going to pay one, two, one, five for this, but I'll pay one, two, five. And thinking that there was no way that someone would take that aggressive, a uh, price reduction. Mm -hmm. And the guy was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you're like, whoa, 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 yeah. So, so I didn't have any money. Sorry, just to be clear, is are you making any money from this first building at this point or is it just covering the mortgage payments? It was cash flowing a little. And um, my brother and I had also started this small technology company at the same time that was like paying us small salaries, too. So I was we were, let's say, scraping by not. Oh, and I had like a consulting deal from an old client and back in London that I think I was still getting paid on a little bit. So I had a little dough coming in. Yeah, but you weren't going to fancy restaurants every night. No. Okay. No, 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 so this, no, no. these are these You're are stringing these are, it together. Yeah, these are tough times. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, so the guy's willing to sell for one, two, five. I happen to have a friend who 
was making uh, a fortune at the time. And I love those kind of friends. Yeah. yeah. I, I would like more of them if you're yes. out there. Well, I'll tell you, it was a great time to hit him up for dough because uh, Lehman Brothers had gone out of business. Yeah. And he's making a fortune uh, because the markets are gyrating. And so, you know, he's an arbitrager and making money. Yep. Um, but uh, where do you put cash at that time? Yeah. You <laughs> like, give it to your buddy. You know, what bank is is not going to go out of business? I mean, you have no idea. Short subprime loans. That's about it. That's the only thing that <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think he had, but I don't think he was that sophisticated at, at that time. But what he, I think, what he realized, or what he, when we brought him the opportunity, I think he kind of had the feeling that one, uh, hard assets were not the worst thing to buy. Like, what's how bad can things go? Uh, you know, such that land in Los Angeles is going to end up being a, a bought at a bought at a market bottom is going to be a yeah. terrible short, short of an earthquake. If you can hold right. it long enough, it's probably going to be fine. Right. Whereas the, the markets in the yeah. time look like w- w- nobody had any idea where the bottom was. See, I'm pretty sure there is an earthquake coming, but maybe that's just me. Well, yeah. oh, okay. Will you be alive, though? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and by the way, this was a brick building, oh. which you, which you don't like. In I learned later that you don't buy brick buildings in Los Angeles no. because, because you're worried about earthquakes. Well, yeah, but that, that kind of explains probably the cursory due diligence and the price. Like, yeah, it's like done. Yeah, exactly. This is beautiful. Brick yeah. facade. Yeah. yeah exactly. No, I, I actually, this, this broker, uh, later on asked me if I liked brick buildings and I was like, yeah, they seem awesome. Like you can have <laughs> brick, brick walls inside, you know, it looks awesome. Yeah, they like, cover, they awesome. cover those steel beams so nicely. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it was literally, I think it was like two years later before I realized that that was like an extremely stupid thing to do. That's great though. Um, I, uh, by the way, I appreciate okay. the honesty again. I just want to say that. Well, no, it's it's uh, it's important that people kind of realize that, particularly when you're getting involved in doing this in the beginning, anything like this. Yeah, we're all stumbling around in the dark. There are no adults. That's my that's my motto in life. Everybody's making this up as we go along, especially in this room. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, One thing to say, though, is that you're far better off getting into this, in my opinion, at a market bottom than you are trying to do it when the market's hot. That's fair. You know, you. A, a rising tide, you know, uh, kind of helps you out. It, it washes out a bunch of the mistakes. Gotcha. So you, okay. So you go to your, your rich friend and, and really, I mean, you only, you, you probably could buy or borrow uh, 80% of the building, right? So you needed what, like, well, that was interesting. 200 he, something grand. He, he actually, um, uh, one of his conditions for funding us was that, uh, we not use any leverage. Oh, wow. Okay. So he just wrote you a check. Yeah. Good. For, yeah. Oh, and this guy's great. Yeah. I mean, great. You know, one, still one of my best friends to this day. Um, but, uh, but the reasoning it was that, you know, how badly can you screw up if you don't have a loan yeah. and absent an earthquake? Like what, what, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? Did he ask the earthquake question just out of curiosity? No. Okay. No. Good. And good. by the way, there are plenty of terrible things that you can do if you're an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> screw things little, up. little do you know. He also didn't ask about. Yeah. But it certainly uh, takes the pressure off. That's for sure. Yes, it did. And, and so we bought the building and our business, our idea was we were going to offer people some money to move out, fix up units as that happened, get these rents that we had projected and that it would turn the building into a really nice yielding asset. So we, we, we did that. We, we started approaching people in the building. We were offering cash. So that's cool. So you could, you go to people and you say, Hey, look, I'll, I'll, I'll make you a deal. You can't refuse. You'll move out. And then you you can renovate their, their unit. Yeah. I mean, they could refuse, but we'd offered them enough money to make it. And then, and what started happening as we did this is, I mean, despite all kinds of, you know, we paid an interior designer 20 grand to come up with our unit, the way that the units were going to look, which like in retrospect, like what, that's idiotic, right? <laughs> and we did so many dumb things, but, um, the fundamental thesis was proven correct that when you renovated these buildings, these, these units, uh, in kind of a generic, but stylish way in other words kind of like a dwell magazine type type reno like a like a nicer ikea kind of like a yeah I'm picturing like a little bit of step up from that yeah that no that's exactly right it's like you and this this characterizes our style to this day i mean you know hardwood floors and fairly and 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 uh fairly generic but new and clean bathrooms and kitchens, really just trying to make it something that's not gross at that things have got better in los angeles now but at that time uh, most apartments looked like the owner had just sent their um, 
handyman out to buy whatever was on special at Home Depot. Yeah, totally. You know, so just horrible stuff. So it you didn't have to be that great, and you were already way better than the the competition. Yeah, I'm, the old school guys, they, it's paint and carpet. That's all they do, and they do oh, it. Yeah. They do it when the paint is peeling off the wall, and the carpet is you know it's got cigarette burns in it and cat pee. Right? It's like they yeah. they let that go forever. And then they yeah. finally do it. So anything that is marginally better really stands out. And then you guys took it a step further and yeah. really made it stand out. That, that's right. I mean, I, I should say in Los Angeles, it's, it's mostly gone away now, but there were a lot of landlords who didn't even give you a refrigerator. Yeah. It was, it was like basically bring your own appliance. That is why people in LA are so skinny. That makes so much sense now. <laughs> so Moses, uh, just, just kind of at a high level, Yep. What percentage increase can you kind of get in this situation on a rent on a unit? I mean, if if a unit's renting for like a dollar, can you get like three bucks basically between the the rent control thing going away and the nicer apartment? I mean, can you can you go that high or is it more like you can you double rents? I mean, what, what what's kind oh, of the no, rough? you can uh, you can you can more than double rents. Wow. I mean, because yeah, they don't bear any relationship to. The way Los Angeles rent control works is that someone moves in and then they have the right to stay there the rest of their lives. And the owner uh, is only allowed to increase the rent by a a small percentage every year. Mm -hmm. And if the owner falls asleep in a given year and fails to raise the rent, then he can't go back and get it retroactively. Yeah. Hmm. And so you get these situations where someone sort of fails to raise the rent for 15 years and suddenly, you know, the, the, the rent for their units just bears zero relation to what market is. Wow. Um, and so that's, so there's, so there's a ton of value, but there's also, but, but the tenants have the right to stay and you can't force them out. People in the beginning, everyone's always looking for these loopholes where they can kind of figure out some scheme where they can get rid of the tenants. And the truth is that, um, there aren't any, you, you, you just, you have to go and treat them respectfully and, uh, and, and discuss and hope and, and hope you can make a deal. This is so you, okay. So you get your second deal in Silver Lake and just, and just so, just so everyone's aware, it's, it's still, you're not like rolling in the money, right? You're still no. putting most of the money back no. into the property, no. you know, no. so yeah. Yeah. We, we're, not, you, we're not, we're, we're, we are not making any money on a cash flow basis. Cause there's a, there's a, we had a deal where we could borrow some money. It was a, a little bit of a complicated, non-traditional deal where we could borrow some money from the uh, from the entity to fund our our you know living expenses. But uh, th- th- but there was I think an eight pref on the money um, and no real fees. So it was it was a it was a really messy structure, and we can come back to that later. But anyway, so uh, but yeah, it suffices to say we were not rolling in money, and and uh, and by this point, uh, my consulting gig had gone away. And so we were, we were not, not, not doing that well. Yeah. And, and are you, are you, so were you able to pay yourself anything at this point? Or are you still kind of scrapping by on your, on your other well, sources of I income? Was, we had, uh, we were able, the deal with my friend was that we could take some loans to live on from the LLC to, to live on, but that the loans would have to be repaid, uh, when we, when we sold the assets. Yeah. So we could live, but it was this constant feeling like I'm living on borrowed money. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's and, like, he, yeah. he, you know, he wants you to have enough money to pay the bills and not have to go back home to your parents. So he no, wants you to stick around. Exactly. But I, yeah, he doesn't want you feeling, you know, no, I mean, and rightfully so, right? He doesn't want you feeling t- super totally. comfortable yet. Totally. And it was, it was very generous of him to do that. I yeah. mean, I, we couldn't have got into the business with them. So in any case, um, once we, the, the cool thing about, so now we renovate full buildings at a time, but that first one we did unit by unit. Got it. Um, and the cool thing about that was that we were able to demonstrate pretty quickly that the, that the underlying idea worked. Yeah. Like we didn't have to wait to do the whole building. Like once we had got three or four units turned around and with the new much higher rents, it was obvious that the business model worked. Yeah. Yeah. You could just go full in. You knew it was going to, you knew there was a strategy here that was working. Right. So over the next couple of years, we bought up a bunch of money with a bunch of buildings with this guy's money and um, we renovated them. And then in 2012, Okay. By the way, this is great timing at this point now, right? I mean, this oh is yeah, like, we're buying at the bottom. It's yeah. perfect. It's it's everything's going well. We even start to have opportunities. The the banks, which had basically given up lending, uh, are just now starting to creep back into the market by 2012. 
And they're like starting to talk about loaning us out a very large fraction of the money that we had invested into these buildings. Yeah. Did you, However, say, did you say, where were you five years ago? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. However, my, like, no, friend I'll take your money, yeah, my, my friend in 2012 decides that, you know what, like these things are up a lot um, and you need to stand on your own two feet. So uh, I want you to liquidate all the buildings. Oh, wow. And so we did. We sold them all and we... We did okay. Um, he he did he did pretty well. He did great. Although, he did great. Although without leverage, like it's not a, flipping buildings when you hold them for a while and don't have debt on them is not a great strategy for maximizing IRR. Yeah, but the absolute dollars, he did all right. Yeah, no, he did. Yes, that's exactly that's that's a fair point. Um, we you know cleared our debts to him. Uh, to the LLC, you know, that for the money he had loaned us and we made a little bit of money, but, but definitely like not enough to do really anything with. So were you, were you sort of bummed about this decision? I mean, is this something you thought oh, you were, yeah. yeah, you were, you were building this for the long run. You're like, ah, oh, crap, we got to sell. Oh yeah. And by the way, you know, side note, ha uh, it was only recently that I made enough money from the stuff we've done at adaptive since 2012 to more than equal what I would have just made from just holding just on keeping to the original them. building. Yeah. Wow. I thought you were about to say it's only recently that you started talking to this guy again. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's always been one of my best friends. No, it, it's just that, I mean, that's the, uh, the, 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 the irony of the whole thing is that if you just, you just hold these things, once they're done, you just hold them. And if you, you have the tailwind behind you when you, uh, you know, when the, the mark, the, both the rents and the valuations are going up. I mean, that's the easy part. Well, so a, we, we, we basically sold before we made the easy money. Totally. Well, you know, I've heard a lot of really smart people and who have done great things in, in real estate. And they all seem to say that you know, your first deal, you tend to get screwed in one way or the other because yep. you're trying to build a track record or you don't know what you're doing. Yep. So it generally, it, it rarely works out where it's just, oh, the home run right out of the gate. I'm, a, I'm, I'm rich now, right? It's usually, totally. it's a grind early and then you don't maximize the dollars that you would have if you had already had a track record, could dictate terms on your contracts. Yes. Well, I think it's, I think it's important I mean, for, for our listeners to know, especially the young folks out there that are getting into real estate and, and wanting to buy their own deals. It's like, you know, this, you could go three, four five years without really making much money. I mean, oh my God. I mean, you're, you're yes. a few years into it at this point. So you, so you liquidated everything, assuming except that first 14 or 15 unit building, right? The, yeah. The first 16 unit building we still own okay. and that's, we did not liquidate that, but all the ones that he had put up the dough for were gone. Okay. So now what? So this is interesting. So, so now we're like, in some ways back to square one, but you have a we track have, record. That's good. We have, right? a, we have a track record and that's important. It, it's important to, 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 to that. We should not minimize that. Right. My friend, you know, there, it was incredibly painful to sell those buildings when we sold them. And I of course was angry about it, but, um, my entire existence in this, this business was kind of catapulted forward. Uh, by my friend being willing to stake me when probably no one else would have. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, right. no, that's that's important to realize. So um, anyway, so so, but cut to 2012. I, we're we're at zero assets under management. I my I had been doing deals with my brother. He and I decided to part ways. Our employee, this guy John, who we had hired to help us um, oversee renovations of the the, the previous portfolio, he's at loose ends because we've sold everything. I'm at loose ends. And we decide uh, we got to make money. I mean, my my oldest son was just born. Oh, I didn't even and, know. Wow, so you had kids at this point. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, uh, they're they're older now, but at the time, uh, Kingsley was, you know, just born, and and we didn't. We really, my wife and I, did not have money. So was she working to to help out, or was she uh, staying at home? A little bit. Yeah. yeah like part time. I, maybe she stopped actually when Kingsley was born, but she had been working part time. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is always easier when one person has an income. But, you know, we, we went through that. My wife and I went through that as well. So I was just curious. Anyway, so we so we as John and I are kicking around and we I, at this point, I should I should say, John, I have got my uh, real estate broker's license as as just because we were doing those deals. I got sick of paying commissioned people. Totally. So I went and got my license. And John had gone and got his contractor's license. Wow. That's a good duo. Yeah. That's yeah. the perfect combo I like for, this. Yeah. for renovations. So, 
so so we're we have no money we have no assets under management but we know we kind of want to go into business together it's now 2012 which in retrospect obviously that was still a good time to buy but mm-hmm. at the time it felt like oh man we missed the bottom or we 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 bought at the bottom but we sold everything too early yeah. and we haven't we don't have no organization no nothing so we do a couple of things the most i think actually the most important thing i did this is really going to sound crazy is i started writing a blog oh and the reason I started doing that is I had my broker's license and I, so I knew I could make money by helping people buy most buy or sell, but mostly buy uh, buildings. Like I had the ability to generate cash from my knowledge of real estate. Yep. Right. Right. Like you could get but broker did, fees. Yeah. Yeah. But I did not want to cold call. Like I just did. I didn't And the way yeah, you get who does? cold call. <laughs> yeah. yeah most exactly. people don't like doing it. So, I started writing this blog about my experiences of buying and renovating apartment buildings. And I start little by little to get people who are reading it, who reach out to me and ask me if I can help them buy buildings. Oh, cool. Lead gen. Yeah, it's exactly right. And so um, I start brokering deals for them. And just to be clear, were you finding the deals or were you just helping them buy the deal? I mean, were they finding them? Like, who was no, actually... I was finding them. Oh, you I, were finding them. Okay. I was finding them and then convincing them that the deals were good and then uh, getting it closed. And, which, you, and how you are know. you sourcing your deals at this point? Were you, did you have a network of brokers or were you kind of cold calling owners or both? Um, no, there were, it, it was, most of it was just off the MLS. Yeah. Okay. You, know, you have access to that and LoopNet and a couple of other public resources. Yeah. Pricing was right. You could just shop online. Yeah, exactly. You could, yeah, you, a reason, I mean, you didn't have to be that smart in 2012. You could, you could just buy in real life. You could probably buy like a six and a half cap. Yeah. That'd be nice now. Yeah. 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 Man, I wish I had cash back in 2012. Oh my God. Yeah. People, I mean, when I look back every once in a while, I run across um, one of the, I built a little model for each client, you know, with prospective deals in it. And, uh, Every once in a while, I run across one of those old models, and it's just like the the numbers are eye popping. <laughs> you know, you know, people people would buy like with an FHA loan with three and a half percent down, and they're buying it, you know, nine and a half times rents, and, and the, you know, we, without getting into all the details, it's just that's just going to be a cash flow bonanza. Yeah, those were good times. Yeah. yeah, well, it's funny because you can think back where you're like, you know, head hedging and hawing over, you know, an extra hundred grand or something on some deal yeah. that you might've passed on, uh, when you probably should, should have just backed up the truck when you knew the fundamentals were such, right. Or just on oh. a price per door, everything felt great. Oh my God. But There's that's experience, a, yeah. right? If you've been doing yeah. it for 25 years, all of a sudden that during the next downturn, you're like, you know, I don't even care what the numbers say. I just, yeah. I've, I've seen this movie before yeah. and we're just going to go all in. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. But uh, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> you weren't there at the time. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. there. Um, so you so start you start almost, piecing it together with broker fees and, and commissions and things like that. Exactly. And and what happened is um, the best deals, the ones that looked most attractive, were the fixers. Yeah. And so I so I would get my client in contract on them, and then we would go do our inspection and I would hire like a professional inspection company to come in and produce like a 50 page PDF of everything that's wrong with the building. And I'd hand it to my client and I'd be like, look, you know, this building, building needs a bunch of work. It's, you know, I got a contractor for you. Yeah. 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 Well, they're (laughs) like, I don't, I have no idea. What do you mean? I got to do that. I don't know how to fix this stuff. I'm a doctor. (laughs) So, so I introduced them to John and I would started out, uh, uh, as just a kind of a, a, a helpful, free kind of consultation turned into eventually them basically paying John as a consultant to help them oversee the renovation, mm-hmm. the, the fix up of the, of the things that were broken. Ah, like a construction manager. Right. And then we, so John and I eventually were like, look, you know what? I'm getting these brokerage fees, but I can't broker these deals be, uh, to, to regular people because they can't see how they're going to fix the things that I, that I can tell need fixing. And you want these consulting fees. So why don't we join forces and I'll, I'll split my brokerage fee with you. If you split your uh, consulting fee with me. And why, and just curious, why weren't you trying to actively purchase properties at this point? Like, you no. know, go out and find more capital or was this not where you were at or. We, we were, we started to do that too. So we created at the same time as we, 
started to work on these kind of brokerage slash consultation deals, which what, 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 what those evolved into was basically a fee development business. In other words, one where we would help people buy and fix up buildings, but we would not get an ownership stake. We would just get cash fees for doing it. So we started doing that. And at the same time, I made a list of every single rich person that I knew and basically called them up, uh, explaining that I had done business before, but no, I didn't have very much of my own money. And my track record was okay, but not great. And would you please give me a hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. Well, you got to hustle. I mean, you got to do that, right? Yeah. And I, I, I called everyone. I emailed, I chased, uh, you know, and I got to 1.8 million bucks. Um, oh, this was like a, a committed fund. Like you're actually yeah, raising a pool of yeah. capital. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yes. I guess I'm sorry for jumping around here, but one thing to say is that in Los Angeles, if you find a good deal, you can't go in there and be like, Hey, you know what? I'd love to buy yeah. this deal. Give me 60 days. Yeah. Let me yeah. find, let me find some people with money. Yeah. No, you yeah. gotta have it. Yeah. That so makes sense. I'll, I'll be yeah. there at closing. Don't worry. You know, I'll get yeah. it done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can do that with the stuff that's, you know, fairly or overpriced, but if you're going to try to steal stuff, um, then you got to be willing to close really quickly. And that means you have to have cash and that means you have to have a fund. Yeah. And do they want to uh, see proof of funds? Like do they, they want to see a bank statement or they just say, Hey, like you have 45 days to close this or whatever, 40, um, 30 days. They did want to see proof of funds and that, you know, so I can remember going through all kinds of ways of kind of like, uh, finessing that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> say no more. We, we won't, we won't get into that. <laughs> yeah. No outright fraud, but definitely ask some friends, parents to let me like send a bank statement of theirs. You called <laughs> Paul Manafort and uh, asked yeah, him to. Exactly. Um, so, so we raise, we, we get like 1.8 in commitments. And then my accountant introduces me, um, to this longstanding client of theirs, who's this rich family and the, I go meet the family and there I have this meeting and I explain what we do. And the guy's like, um, if you want a couple hundred grand, I'll write you a check right here. But if you want a material amount of money, we're going to have to negotiate the docs. And I said, what's material? And he said, we'll match whatever you raise from anyone else. And I said, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. <laughs> So we, we negotiated the docs and that became adaptive realty fund one with, I think three, I want to say 3.6 million in equity, but, um, 3.6 million in Los Angeles. That's like enough. That was enough. One we, deal. Well, we did four, four plexes, no debt. We, in retrospect, we probably should have used that. Wow. No, that. no debt on any of those, huh? Yeah. We've, we've actually always been very, um, conservative about debt. Um, at what? least, Go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, what am I missing? Because you know, I'm the private equity guy who kind of thinks about I come into real estate from the outside. But I always, I always assume that real estate kind of only works because you you get this massive amount of debt. Is I mean, obviously that's not true, and it's oversimplified. But well, one of the things we're sort of child children of the recession, like that. The fact that my friend forced us not to use debt in the beginning really was a great lesson in some ways. Because it's like, look, if you do not use debt, you have to be disciplined. Not go that bad. A, B, you actually have to create value. Like there's no, you can't financial engineer your way into making something look good. Like a deal has to make sense with a paper and a pencil, you know, just cash, you know, uh, assuming all cash. And then, yeah, if you can put some debt on there, you make things better. But you're, you're, it's a kind of discipline that forces you to actually do deals where there is true value creation. That makes sense. You you had a truly differentiated strategy. All the the other buyers looking at these properties weren't going to do the work you were going to do. So you, you, okay. So you could, it's pretty scary to vacate a building if you have debt on it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's the other thing is you can't get good debt for these things anyway. Yeah. Because you're the, the banks, you can't just go get a normal loan. Yeah, they're not going to give you a loan based on the pro forma of what you're going to do to it. They want to see what the historicals are. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to vacate the this building that is your collateral and we're going to tear it to shreds. And a year from now, it's going to be awesome. They're just like, no, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a bridge lender. There are definitely lenders who will obviously who will loan you money to do that, but they want much, uh, higher, uh, double digits. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you got, you, cause so you raised your first fund, you buy four, four plexes 
and now and now are you off to the races are you starting to get momentum now and to to do more yeah we sort of um you're such a tech software guy you're like where's the hockey stick yeah growth? when when do you when, when does the inflection point come <laughs> it, 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 not for a while. did you ipo yet when do we buy moses. the yacht moses <laughs> there's no yacht uh that's okay no yacht. um no the 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 what happened is we eventually were able to sell those for, we, we added a ton of value to those four plexes when we sold out. Oh, you sold uh, those too, huh? We, yeah. We sold fund four. Um, I wanted to print a track record. So we sold fund one. I think we ended up being net of fees and no using no leverage. I think we were like a 26% IRR. Good night. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. Without well, that. They were, they were good deals. Yeah. But you sold, you, just to be clear, you sold them. You didn't just lease them. You didn't just rent these out. We well, we rented them out and then sold them as income properties. Oh, okay, because I thought that was your lesson learned from the first time around that you weren't going to be selling. Obviously. Yes, it was. It, you're 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 absolutely right. Um, we that we had learned that lesson. On the other hand, we with no with not a great track record from the original deals, we knew that we needed to show people some money. Mm, yeah. and the other thing is with three point eight million bucks, maybe you could do two of the larger deals where you can get commercial financing that allows you to, 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 uh, take, to return capital and keep the building. Yep. But fourplexes, if you want, so in other words, if you wanted to diversify and do a bunch of deals, then they needed to be small because that's the only, that's all the capital we had. And, but because they were small, we couldn't get commercial financing that would allow us to hold the properties long-term. You can't get. Yeah. It's a weird um, gray area yeah. for investment property. Yeah, fourplexes are great if you as a as an individual owner who can put his own name or her own name on the deed yeah. and get a Fannie Mae thirty year fixed rate mortgage. They're fantastic. Yeah, a lot of twenty year olds will do this, right? They they buy a, a fourplex, they live in one unit, they renovate the other right units, yeah. and then they gradually you know improve it and flip it. That's right. But as a but as a a business, uh, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. And so we we, we knew that they would be better off in the hands of individuals who could get those 30 year fixed rate loans. And it would allow us to a do four deals instead of two. So that was nice from a diversification perspective for the fund and, uh, and B we could sell them and print a track record. Yeah. But meanwhile, the problem is that no matter, and the adaptive realty fund one was a, was a, um, a fee heavy vehicle. We had acquisition fees and we had construction oversight fees and we had loan fees. I don't think we used the loan fees, but um, we had property management. Fees. We had all kinds of fees, but because this, the dollar amount was really small. Yeah. You still weren't making a lot of money. You can't live. Right. Like, this is so, a constant theme in your life up to this point. Yeah. I, I can empathize. So meanwhile, we're scrambling and we start to do these fee development deals for people. The opportunity was there. We had this, we could see that you could make money with this strategy and there were deals all over the place, but we could only raise 3.8 million bucks. Um, so we start doing these fee deals where we find rich people who want to own renovated buildings and we effectively do the whole process for them without getting any ownership stake. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was incredibly, incredibly painful. Well, yeah, it's just frustrating, right? Because you, you see the value you're creating and you're capturing some of that, but they're, they're, you're certainly not capturing the lion's share of it. Oh yeah, no, and 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 then you would see things like um, so we'd be making let's say 150 grand to do a to do a building, yeah, and you know my partner and I would come up with one design tweak that would add some bathrooms or some bedrooms or whatever to the building, and that would generate enough incremental rent to add enough value to the finished product that our fee was effectively free, right? Yep. So like. It's, yeah. That's you, extremely painful. You're, you say you welcome a lot to your to your investors. Yeah. <laughs> you well, to be fair, most I, of them I find were, that goes over well. Yeah. Well, to be fair, most of them were pretty gracious about it, and we're you know we're thankful and everything. But but it still doesn't feel great when you're when you're generating so much value and only capturing a small small part of it. But what we did, and this is something um, that I that I would recommend anyone who is uh, starting out in this business to do, is we we set about immediately building a management infrastructure. You mean, pro you mean property management? Property management infrastructure, right. Because we, we knew we were not going to get ownership stakes in these fee deals, but they still needed to be leased and managed, and we were the right people to do it. And we knew that we were going to need some kind of infrastructure anyway to do deals. We're going to need accounting and 
some, you know, we're, we're going to have to have some eventually some assistance to help us because there's, a, you know, if you, we want to do a bunch of these deals, there's a lot of work to do. So yeah, so it's another way to generate income, and it was something you were going to do anyway down the road. So exactly. So we kept the management both uh, for for those those fee deals, and then later as we started, uh, do, you know, as we raised Adaptive Realty Fund Two and Fund Three and Fund Four. Uh, and then we started to do joint ventures with individual wealthy families. Um, we always made a point of keeping the management. And my partner used to complain about it to me probably on like a weekly basis. Yeah. Why? Because the maintenance phone calls and uh, accounting systems and leasing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why are you spending your time on this, you know, leak or this or this, uh, you know, or, or someone's, someone got bitten by a dog. Or, yeah. I mean, I, I'm under the impression that this is the side of real estate that no one really wants to do. It's just kind it's, of a necessary it's, evil. It's terrible. But I'll tell you, we went early on, we went and we met with some local property management companies to see about um, having them manage some of our very earliest deals. And because uh, I had the same, same feeling. Um, but two Every single one of them said the following. First of all, the rents that you are hoping to get for your renovated units are insane, right? And then also when we dug into what their processes were in terms of maintaining the buildings and, and also doing the accounting, we were kind of horrified. Meaning, so, meaning, meaning what? There was, not pro there was not good processes? Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it was like, look, we're supposed – these are the professionals who, you know, they manage a lot of property in this area – we're supposed to trust them with our building, but they can't get the rents we need. And by the way, we wouldn't trust them with our money or more importantly, investor money. Yeah. Okay. So you're like, we'll do it ourselves. Right. So we did it and we, and we, it was so painful and we, you know, and I kept thinking one of the jokes about property management is, you know, we only need to add another hundred units. We all, and we'll, then we'll be profitable. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we only Make it up on volume. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was an incredible, incredibly painful slog. And for a very long time, as we were hiring people into the management business to pay them, we were having to take our deal fees and, and use it to subsidize the, man, the, the, the management salaries. Yeah, the payroll. Yeah. Yeah. Payroll is the son of a gun. Yeah. 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 Because management is a totally inefficient business in the sense that it's, it's just very labor intensive. Yeah. So we... So my partner would scream at me and we, you know, but I just always had the sense that what you wanted was that stable evergreen income yeah. that comes from the property management. And, and anyway, like we were going to do a better job taking care of these assets than anyone else was. So, so it made sense. We needed it. We needed it to make the deals turn out well, and we needed the evergreen income. So we kept sort of just pushing that boulder up the mountain when we finally hit 400 units and this is this is you you continue to raise additional funds now at this point right you've yeah yeah we're continuing we're raising additional funds we're doing deals however we can both fee development deals and also ones where we have an ownership stake yeah and are you expanding your capital sources are people starting are you starting to find people want to do deals with you and give you money because yeah. you have success and it, like the the snowball yeah. wheel yeah, yeah the flywheel yeah the flywheel starting it, to move it is, but it's slow. And it, but but interestingly, that blog that I mentioned earlier, yeah, people started reaching out to me on the blog about investing in our deals. And uh, you know, to this day, probably of our top five capital sources, I think three of them were people that I met off the blog. That's awesome. I mean, it's funny, Brad. You have kind of a, you've had a similar approach, right? Well, you've written articles, and and Brad's kind of done a good job getting his name out there in the manufactured housing community. And, yeah. You've gotten people reaching out to you. Well, yeah, it's funny. It's because I think, you know, most people come at this with a, a closed mindset and a, you know, there's a, there's a fixed pie out there and I don't want right. to share my expertise and my knowledge. And, you know, I think, uh, it took me a while cause I came from, you know, private equity world where it's like, no, this is mine. Right. Yep. Uh, it took me a while, but eventually I got to the point where I was like, look, I, you know, I think that there's enough for everybody and why not share your volume, your knowledge and, and people will come to you as a resource and good things will happen. Yeah. You know, I've had exactly that, that experience and that same tension, you know, in fact, some of our investors, uh, particularly the ones who are capable of writing lots and lots of checks, they're like, can you stop blogging? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And, like but, enough already, Moses. Yeah, like we, you know, you, you, we're happy to give you the money you need. Like, yeah, well, you don't need anyone else with money. But, um, you know, as you guys know, a big part of what we are all doing in this, uh, in, in building a career in the alternative space is building a network of people who are willing to trust us with increasingly large amounts of capital. Totally. And you just, you want, there's an incredible amount of power in that network. As long as you keep making your investors happy, uh, they will increase their commitments to you. They'll tell you their friends, they'll serve as references for you. And so I have just always, it's been painful at times because I know that I have trained a whole bunch of competitors from reading my blog and that kills me sometimes. But, uh, but it's been great for our business and, uh, you know, I've continued to do it. Well, yeah, it's, I'm struck with how long, I mean, this has been a long, you know, a long path for a long journey, right? I mean, you, you bought that first 16 unit building in what, you said 2009? Is that? Yeah, no, I've been doing this for, uh, for 10 years now. I think we bought the first one in 2008. Yeah. And it sounds uh, to me like the flywheel really started kind of spinning, I guess, in what, 2015, 2016 kind of thing. Right? That's, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you though. So just to get back to the business model itself, the fundamental deals that we do, one of the painful things about it is that because we're long-term holders and not flipping, we don't crystallize our promotes. In other words, most people buy a building, fix it up, sell it, give their investors back their principal, whatever the preferred return, and then they split the profits and, the, and put a bunch of money in their own pocket. Yeah. Okay. We do not do that. What do you do? So we, uh, we get fees, we, you know, we charge some fees, uh, you know, for, for doing the work on the project. So acquisition fee, pro project management fee. We've actually moved to just a flat 5% of the project. Okay. 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 All right. That's clean. Uh, so we, yeah, we put that in our pocket for doing the work. Thereafter, we don't see a dime from the building until the investors have got back all of their capital and their pref for the time that, that we had it. And it's only at that point that we start to participate in the uh, in the cash flow. Yeah. So that that's a pretty standard private equity structure. But there are plenty of small uh, real estate operator, you know, uh, businesses where they'll, they'll put in a promote on the cash flow as well. Right. Yep. So even yep. if you haven't sold or returned all the capital, if you're above a seven or eight, then you're participating. But it sounds like you guys went more traditional. Hey, here, we've taken out all the risk, investor. Here's all of your capital back. Now we yeah. are going to start participating. Exactly. Yeah. And it, uh, exactly. And that can, know, Moses, that can be like a, what I'm just six to 10 year period. Is I mean, is that, well, no, these guys are, they're, they're, these are two year renovations refinance. Oh, they refinance them. Yeah. Okay, but, even, but even on good deals, it still can take two, three years for us to okay. start. Still, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. That's not as bad as I feared. Okay. So. Yeah. But no, but some of them, a, a worse deal, it can be five or six years. Definitely. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so the, so the way that the business has grown is that we have, um, we're living on, you know, we, we've built a property management business to the point where it is supporting um, all of the uh, overhead associated with the platform. Bravo. I mean, that is no small feat, right? It takes yeah. a while to get there. I mean, how many, yeah. And then you yeah. feel so much better and you can handle so many more deals moving forward. Exactly. How many employees exactly. in that business? So, uh, so we have my, in addition to my partner and I, we have nine full-time employees. Yeah. Okay. So you're running, um, yeah, you're running a real business there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, we are indeed. And, um, and so the property management business, which I cursed for a long time and still in my worst moments do, yeah. uh, you know, really enables a kind of a level of stability that means that we don't have to necessarily chase deals if we don't want to. Well, I hope you're telling John that I told you so regularly. <laughs> he likes it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, now he's come around. At one point he tried to sell me his shares of the management business back. John, and I, I never, John. I, I never, I, I will never let him forget it. That's pretty funny. Now, this is great. I, I, I really appreciate your story, Moses, because, you know, Brad and I get up here and we just kind of chat about buying deals and going out and looking for deals. And I, I do think sometimes we can make it sound almost sexy, Brad, if I may. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. But it's like this is, you know, this is it, this it is a long a grind. This is a long slog. Right. And especially, you know, when you're when you're doing it the way you did it and you, you're kind of bootstrapping yourself and you're sort of scrapping together fees from everywhere you can. You know, I think it's important for people to realize it could be for four, five, six, seven years before you're generating significant cash flow as, for yourself. As Grayson's uh, father eloquently said at uh, his rehearsal uh, dinner for his wedding, uh, marriage can be a long slog. Yeah, so my I'm, wife has never forgiven him for that. <laughs> so can this business. Yeah, she still brings it up to this day. But no, it's... Um, 
you know, look, I, I think you're Moses. It's, I do appreciate the candor because I think it's sometimes it's people like sort of try to condense their success and make it seem like, uh, they just kind of, you know, it happened quickly and they're look how wonderful they are, but it just, it can take a long time and it's, yeah, well, and it's this, hard. And this is the great thing about being a, a real estate entrepreneur or a private equity re- entrepreneur. It's, you know, it does take time. It's not easy and there's a lot of moving pieces, but once you do get to that, that end of that flywheel, then things are a lot easier. The money's comes faster. You have a track record. You have a team in place. You're not doing everything by yourself. Yeah. Moses. No, exactly. And and by the way, I mean, our business has not been great for give, for handing me, you know, cash that I could use to buy a yacht. Yeah, it's real but, estate. It's on paper. But the benefits of, of tax-free compounding on long-term promotes that you own in buildings are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, know, you will have a yacht. We'll be going on your yacht. Well, it's, it's Just really, don't it's, forget about us. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that remains to be seen whether it's going to be yacht territory, but it, what it, what it does is, you know, you end up owning a meaningful percentage of a large portfolio. And if you believe that that portfolio is going to continue to generate cash and you're in an area where the rents are going to go up and therefore the cash is, the cash flow is going to go up. Uh, you know, that is a, that's, it's a marvelous thing for net worth building. So I think we've, we've taken up a ton of your time, but I, I have one more question in regards to making the, the conversion to more permanent equity, which is a, not a small feat. Uh, and so I'd like to hear your progress with that, or if that's something you're even pursuing still. So with our funds where we're taking money from, you know, a bunch of smaller investors writing, you know, checks for a few hundred thousand or whatever, um, those are those are literally pretty much permanent funds. There's a mechanism for the investors to force us to liquidate if our performance is like incredibly bad. But um, but then and then we do these joint ventures where with larger families who can write, you know, a five million dollar check. In those ones, um, the families typically get the right to liquidate, but we only do them with people who are on the same wavelength with us philosophically in terms of being long-term holders. Got it. So the and the, and the and the thinking goes like this: first of all, we had that 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 crushing experience of having a great portfolio in 2012 that we were forced to sell by an investor who wanted to liquidate when we didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Right, and also just the good old-fashioned Warren Buffett thinking about compounding. About compounding. Yeah, yeah. You just don't pay taxes on those, you know, don't avoid paying transfer costs like brokers and all that stuff and, and avoid paying capital gains tax and just hold it and let that thing compound. Yeah. Love it. You're you guys, my language. Such long-term thinkers, you guys, you and Brad, you go out and have a beer and just talk about long-term thinking. <laughs> It'd be really boring. for <laughs> I'm just like, come on guys, let's get to the point. Um, <laughs> Wait, so Moses, uh, I have another question. But by the way, were you finished answering Brad's question? Because I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, I think that's that's it. So we've, 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 we just, all of our capital at this point is either formally in, doc, in a documented sense or at least philosophically uh, permanent hold. Okay, okay. And then, so my question is, what did, you know, a lot of our listeners, based, based on the emails Brad and I get, a lot of our listeners are sort of call it 24 to 35-year-old guys and girls who are kind of thinking about getting into either private equity or real estate or buying a deal, what advice would you get? You know, now that you're 39, you look back, you actually have a real track record. What advice would you give them? Yeah. A couple of things. One is, um, you, you gotta own the, the, uh, I guess, own the means of production. In other words, you can't, and it sounds kind of is Marx. That, is that Karl Marx? Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I've never so, read wow. him, but it's, I did, yeah. you know, yeah. okay. You, you, you gotta be, so in, in real estate, right. The unit of value or a unit of value is a deal. Finding capital and matching it up with an attractive property uh, that that capital can own. Like that's the value and, proposition. And, right. Yeah. And you get paid for that. There's, you know, you can, if you get sophisticated and you start to raise money and you can, you start to get, be able to get lots of, you know, a big part of the economics, but even is, but even earlier in your career, before you were out raising capital, all that stuff, if you know how to find a good deal and put capital with it, like basically you can be just a broker and you can get paid. Yeah, like, because that, 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 is the, that is the valuable activity, right? Finding yeah. the deal and then finding the capital for that deal. That is the truly valuable activity. It, it, exactly. So it's like learn how to spot a deal. And paradoxically, just to go all the way back to our conversation about me and the blog and brokerage and everything – if you want to build a brokerage career, go sell properties. Okay. That's the, if you want to be a good broker, you got to get lots of listings. If you want to learn how to be an investor, you got to be on the buy side. Yeah. 
you know, because the, the seller selling is all about puffing and making things seem great and whatever. Working on the buy side is like figuring out what is real and what's bullshit. And yeah. that's really what our business is about. Yeah, totally. It's figuring out where the guy on the sell side is trying to pull one over your eyes. Exactly. And then the other piece of advice uh, that I would give, and this, uh, you know, it's a little harder to take this, this, this advice is you really want to start when the market is down. And the reason is that you are, when you do your first deal, you are going to go to every single rich person, you know, to try to scrape together the capital. And by definition, those are going to be your best potential capital sources, right? Like that, those, that, those, that's your team. Those are the people who believe in you. If you go and do that and buy your first deal when the market's hot, the chances that it's going to work out well, yeah, it's, it could, but you're, but you're very likely you're trying to sail into headwinds. Yeah. Right? By the way, every person listening to this is just like, shit, Gosh, <laughs> now I got to, yeah, I got to wait, gotta I gotta wait a couple of years. No, I know. It, but, but if you, if you, like I did, we just got lucky. I mean, if I had started a few years earlier, I would have made all these calls, raised all this money, got my friend to give me money and then go bought a bunch of stuff at the top of the market and vaporized a whole bunch of everyone's money. Yeah. And you're not going to get a second chance, second exactly. bite of the apple. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, it's, it's hard to, 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 to sort of sit there and not do anything. But what I recommend to people who are young and thinking about it is one, hone the skill of finding good deals. And two, because we're in a hot market, you don't have to swing. Like you can just stand there and let pitches go by. So if you're going to do something in a hot market, you better be really sure that it is a home run because it's your one swing. Like don't, don't swing at something that's outside the strike zone. Wait for something that's right down the middle. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's good advice. And so it, it is obviously a hot market right now and who knows, and maybe it'll keep going up, but it's, it now is the time to be extremely disciplined. And hopefully we've, hopefully we've said that a few times in this podcast, but if not, we'll say it again. So that's, yeah, great advice. And, and Moses, congrats on your success and congrats. I, you know, I realize Brad and I both kind of know what you've gone through and how much you had to hustle to get to where you are. Um, so thanks for coming on the show. Maybe before you leave, why don't you just tell people where they can find you? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you can just, if you Google Moses Kagan, you'll find my blog. And uh, if you're ever having trouble sleeping at night, it's a great, uh, great sleep. Aid. <laughs> I have it pulled up right in front of me on my big screen here. And yeah, I like the beard. I like the hair. You get a good look going. So it's kagansblog.com. And then Moses, uh, love to stay in touch with you. And um, again, don't forget us when you, when you cruise by Newport Beach on that yacht of yours in five years. Okay. <laughs> well, likewise, guys, great podcast. I'm an avid listener. I love the show. Oh, great. Thanks, Moses. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you've made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There, you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.